And now for something completely different. Ah! Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. Hey, good morning. Welcome to the show. Of course, it's Monday. I hope y'all all had a very happy Mother's Day yesterday and everybody was uh, celebrating and doing all things. Second most celebrated uh, holiday of the year, of course, as we said before. So again, happy Mother's Day on a little bit late in here. Um, but as we uh, start looking at the week, lots of stuff happening this week, of course. Uh, tomorrow, supposedly, and we'll see if this changes today, but the debt ceiling discussions are supposed to pick back up again tomorrow. So markets up a little bit this morning on futures. Um, of course, after being negative last week, overall markets were down very, very slightly last week, but they were down a bit. So, you know, after this kind of choppy range here we've been in, everybody kind of waiting to see what's going to happen with this debt ceiling debate, those talks set to resume tomorrow. Uh, given the fact that there's very few days left now where not, not to the X date, not to the point that we supposedly default and everything. That's not it. There's only a few days left in this month before everybody kind of breaks for summer in terms of the Republicans and Democrats, you know, House and Senate and the president. There's very few days where they're all in Washington at the same time. So pretty much this week, uh, they need to come to a resolution and figure out how to raise the debt ceiling. So that's why the markets are a little bit optimistic this morning. Dow's up about 126 points right now. S&P's up slightly. NASDAQ's up slightly. But again, you know, this is just really kind of where we've been now uh, for quite a while. In fact, going all the way back to the beginning of April, here it is, May the 15th, right? Payday, by the way. So, <laughs> you know, there's good news for a Monday for you as well. But going all the way back to April, we've been 45 days now, uh, just basically going absolutely nowhere. It has been just a flat line in a very, very small trading range now for the last 45 days. So it's, it's been boring. I mean, it's really kind of hard to talk about the markets when they're at doing absolutely nothing. It's, it's you know, they're kind of just laying their dead on the street, just waiting for something to happen. And, and nothing's really happening right now. So again, this, this market's been kind of consolidating this range that we've been in. And we've been in the sell signal now uh, for the markets really since about May, uh, April the 20th. So we're getting pretty long in that whole sell signal cycle as well. And yet we haven't done a lot to really move the market in one direction or the other. Now that's okay, by the way. Uh, a market that just consolidates sideways is just as good as a market correction. Um, so we don't need prices to decline uh, for markets to work off an overbought condition. And that's what's been happening here. And again, that's frustrating because if you're kind of been betting on this market decline, well, it hasn't happened. If you've been betting on a market advance, that hasn't happened either. Markets is not doing much of anything. But again, this is a bit deceiving. I've got an article coming out tomorrow talking about AI and this, this whole AI boom. Again, we've talked about the fact that, uh, that if the market, if we looked at the market as a whole and stripped out kind of the top five, 10 stocks of the index, the market would be down 2% this year, not up eight. And that's really the impact of these market cap weighted mega capitalization companies that are driving both earnings growth right now. Again, earnings haven't corrected as much as, as, as you know, people had originally expected, including me. 
uh, because of the ability of these big mega cap companies to grow earnings. Uh, the second thing is, is that because of their size and weight in the index, those advances have been pulling up the whole market in terms of the broad market index. This up 8% for the year so far has really been driven about 90, 92% of that entire advance is a very small handful of stocks. So, uh, so again, and these are all the stocks that are around this kind of AI boom at the moment and very similar to what we saw back in the late 90s. There's a, there is a, a lot of similarities in the late 90s. Everybody was talking about adding the internet to their, to their business and adding a dot-com address and getting a dot-com address website to go along with their company business. Their company had nothing to do with the internet. They somehow magically found a way to be in the internet business. And that was driving earnings and driving prices uh, in 1998, 99, 2000, of course. And then in 2000, that whole dot-com boom kind of ended spectacularly, not because the internet went away, not because the fact that, well, that whole interweb thing, nobody's going to be on the internet. No, it's just valuations became a reality that despite all the, the, the glamour of the internet and what it was going to do for the world, and it did change the world, right? Change the way we do a lot of things. Think about how much of your day do you spend you know, researching stuff that you just Google now, right? You just have to go back and pull out an encyclopedia to look at things. Now you just Google stuff and there it is. So it changed the world, right? It was a revolution in the world. And again, we'll talk about this a little bit more tomorrow because I've got an article coming out on this uh, in the morning. But that revolution changed the world, and but it didn't change the importance of valuations earnings. In fact, the increases in productivity led to wage declines and those type of things. So again, these are the issues that we're looking at now because we see that same thing happening with AI. Companies coming out, coming out Google, Apple, Microsoft, those companies talking about AI. Google mentioned the word AI 65 times during their latest earnings report. So again, driving the stock prices, moving things higher. Valuations ultimately though will still matter. And, and again, we haven't done a lot to really revert valuations and particularly the move this year in prices has started lifting valuations again. So we've had multiple expansions since the beginning of the year. That's still kind of holding up markets here as well. So, you know, this is, but this is the big challenge. And we've been going, you know, talking about this for the past, you know, couple of months is that there's a lot of very bearish headlines out there right now, of course, talking about recession and, and these type of things. In fact, uh, we'll talk a little bit about the NFIB report today. We covered that in the newsletter this past weekend. But there's a good bit of negative news right from what's happening in small businesses and that's really a big chunk of the economy yet markets not really paying much attention to that so who's right is it are the markets right or the markets leading economic expectations jim kramer out this morning talking about an economic resurgence that's going to be a, a boon to investors is that possible well this is this is the dichotomy of what's going on between the markets and what's happening with what you say is boots on the ground, right? What you witness in real time, you know, what you do, how you feel about things. Take a look at the University of Michigan Consumer Sentiment Index, still declining, inflation expectations still rising, right? Five-year inflation expectations in the University of Michigan uh, Confidence Index rose despite the fact that CPI is declining, right? So we have this very big divergence between what markets are doing and what data says 
versus what people feel. And this is a very interesting time because, again, markets are completely ignoring how people feel and how people are, are supposedly acting. Right. And this is the and this again, this is the challenge. Uh, you know, so again, if you take a look at how people feel about the markets, lots of negative sentiment, markets continue to operate rather bullishly as we continue to kind of consolidate these advances that happened. And, and really all we've been doing uh, really since February is consolidating that January gain. January was up about 7% or so. And since January, we've just kind of been trading sideways. And you actually see that if you go back to the, the peak of the market at the very beginning of February, we're pretty much at the same level here in May. So again, markets have gone nowhere since February. And that's been a very trying and challenging area for investors to try to make money, especially if you're trying to index. You're not, it's just kind of markets are flopping around. There's been a few stocks that have done great. Rest of the market, mm, not so much. Anyway, we'll come back. We'll talk a little bit about the NFIB report, some interesting charts about what the NFIB, that's the National Federation of Independent Business, um, some interesting charts about what their members are saying about what they're seeing real time with the economy. We'll talk about that after the break. I'm your host, Lance Roberts. Don't go away. news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Wow, Red, whatever are we going to do over this hot, lazy summer? Don't you worry, little darling. We're going to break our money malaise. Don't let the summer doldrums sap your money's worth. Register for our next Candid Coffee with Danny Ratcliffe and Richard Rosso with summertime tips for your idle cash. Saturday, June 3rd. It's our half-year financial checkup, breaking your money malaise this summer. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com. Candid Coffee with Ratcliffe and Rosso. Realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. weekend's uh, newsletter talking a little bit about the uh, latest inflation report as well as the latest NFIB survey which came out and had some interesting uh, kind of tidbits in it in terms of the expectations that business owners have now when the National Federation of Independent Business when you talk about that survey this is a survey of small business owners most of these are private business owners they're they're organ they're they're businesses that belong to this organization and it's kind of a networking and information sharing and support group and this is all kind of small to medium-sized businesses around the country and, and most of these companies are not publicly traded so this is that side of the the economy that we don't get a report on every day, right? Because you don't hear about, you know, Apple doesn't belong to the National Federation of Independent Business as an example. So you don't really hear much about this, but this is the side of the economy that affects you most closely, right? These are your neighborhood businesses. They're your neighborhood manufacturers. They're your neighborhood, you know, processors, et cetera. Then you look at all the businesses around you 
that are just small little independent franchises. And, and these are the people that are making up about 50% of the employment in the country. But you don't hear much about this, this group because, again, they're not in the public media every day because they're not publicly traded. You don't hear about their stock prices, et cetera. But it was interesting because, you know, a few things came out in that survey that were actually, you know, fairly interesting about their view on the economy. Again, this is what I was just talking about a second ago. There's, a, there's this detachment between what the markets are doing and I should just say a handful of stocks as an example, versus what the economy may be doing. And that, that kind of a differential is the potential risk to some degree. And, and again, there's, we've got to be careful about this because, you know, for the last year or so, there's been a lot of negative news flow out there about the economy, right? We've talked about it's the world's most anticipated recession, right? Everybody's been expecting a recession. Everybody's been expecting this massively deep financial crisis-driven type bear market that just hasn't occurred yet. And, you know, here we are basically almost 18 months now into this cycle, which is a very long period of time for a recessionary economic slowdown cycle, by the way, that this reality has failed to come into existence or this expect expectation, I should say not reality, but this expected reality of this very negative environment has failed to come into existence yet. Doesn't mean it can't, but we're getting very far down that cycle to where you've wrung out a lot of this negativity. And this was, and this was kind of seen in the latest NFIB report. In fact, that survey is at the lowest level. It came in at 89. And that index is now at the lowest level that we've seen since the last decade, you know, for the most part. But, you know, you're, you're starting to hit levels that we saw during the actual financial crisis. And, and normally these levels are recessionary. Now, again, we haven't seen that recession, you know, declaration as of yet. But normally when you're at these levels you see these types of kind of economic recessions take hold. And of course, as we've discussed, you know, this is also showing up in their views about their ability to get credit. We've talked about tighter bank lending standards. Bank lending standards are getting much tighter. And surprisingly, their views on Getting credit is, is getting impacted, and the impact of that, that tighter credit is also is also hitting retail sales. We're seeing retail sales decline because people are unable to get additions to credit, et cetera. So this is starting to come in, and, and again, as they're you know looking at their business activity, they're seeing retail sales slow down. They're seeing their 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 sales decline, their revenue decline. And this is all weighing on their overall confidence, not surprising. But, and again, when you take a look at their, the NFIB's view of expected sales versus actual sales, that's a very interesting dynamic because 
the the two these are this is a sentiment based survey right so these are these are questions like well what were your sales like in the last quarter what are your what do you expect your sales to be in the next quarter well business owners are always optimistic because that's when you're in if you're in business you have to be optimistic you can't be negative all the time because you'll never open your shop right you'll never sell anything so you, business owners by their very nature are very optimistic about the future so they always expect things to improve um, but they say, well, you know, what do you think about your, you know, your sales over the next three months? Oh, I think they're going to pick up. I think they're good. Well, okay, what were your sales like the last three months? Well, they were terrible. Nobody bought anything. Well, so now go back three months and look at what they said about their expectation three months ago. Three months ago, they said, well, we expect sales to get better. They weren't. They didn't. And so when we average those two together, what's encapsulate what they thought versus what happened over time, we can see that that reality is starting to deteriorate. Their views are deteriorating as retail sales are actually declining, and that's what you would expect to happen. But again, if retail sales are, are very important because retail sales make up 40% of PCE, which is the personal consumption expenditure component, which is 70% of GDP. So retail sales have a very big impact on the direction and trend of economic growth. So obviously for small businesses and for businesses in general, right? If the NFIB is right and retail sales are slowing and the economy is, is not doing as well as, as everybody expects, earnings of companies are a function of the sales, right? So I have to sell something first that generates revenue. And then once I generate revenue, then I have to pay all my business expenses, right? I have to pay my employees, I got to pay my light bill, got to you know, pay the water bill, do all those type of things. And then I wind up with what's left over. That's normally called earnings. And the differential between what I earned and what I brought in in revenue is my profit margin. Profit margins are declining across the economy, but they have not declined very much. Yet, if we take a look at the NFIB survey, which is now at the lowest level in a decade, and, it, and, that's, and that's advanced 12 months, if the outlook of the current NFIB survey is correct and the economy is slowing down, then profit margins still have a long way to go over the next 12 months. Now, again, this is the bit of the dichotomy. We're now 18 months into this whole cycle, and yet profit margins really haven't declined that much. Part of that has to do with automation. Part of it has to do with a lot of factors. In fact, we laid off a bunch of people in 2020 that boosted profit margins to a large degree. And supposedly we've hired all those people back, but there's still a very large number of people when you take a look at the survey that are outside the labor force so we've hired people back yes but have we hired everyone back profit margins at current levels suggest that that answer is no and that we're still supplementing a lot of that differential with productivity increases right um fewer employees doing more work you know automation robotics those type of things but if the NFIB survey is correct, in the next 12 months, those profit margins are going to continue to shrink. 
And particularly as inflation is falling, that means that businesses won't be able to sustain price levels as well. And that's been one of the benefits to profit margins has been elevated inflation. And they've been passing that cost on to consumers, which is boosting their profit margins. But as inflation falls, that's going to start to reverse as well. So profit margins as a function have further to fall if the NFIB survey is correct as it has been in the past. Of course, when you talk about, and as I was saying, you know, the big concern for small businesses are employment because labor costs are the biggest concern of small businesses because it's the biggest component of any business's bottom line, right? That eats into that revenue. So one of the questions continues to be, when are we going to see this uptick in unemployment? And especially when you have such a large concern about labor costs, which normally spikes in labor costs are pre-recessionary. So in other words, you see these concerns about labor costs and eventually businesses go, well, you know, I've got to start cutting staff. You know, the, the labor costs are getting out of way. So you see layoffs pick up and then you see unemployment pick up. And then that's normally when you're in a recession. So it takes a little bit of time, but we are seeing again that spike in labor cost concerns for small businesses, which typically precede slower economic environments, rising unemployment, those type of things. And in fact, if you take a look at the differential, again, this is a survey, as we said before, just like with retail sales, one of the questions is, is are you thinking about hiring more employees over the next you know, three months? And you take a look at what they actually did over the last three months, and there's a big gap between what they thought they were gonna do and what they actually did. So this also explains a lot of these job openings that we have. Companies posting job openings going, oh, I've got a job opening and they don't hire for it. Not because they don't want to hire for it, but because they're being conservative about maybe I'll just hold off on hiring that person right now because of what's going on economically. So lots of interesting data in the NFIB reports on the newsletter. So go by the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Um, and you get the rest of the data there. Realinvestmentadvice.com, just click on the Insights tab on the newsletter link. And of course, make sure you're subscribed. We email that out every Saturday for you. It's at the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Advice blog. It's required reading for the informed investor. Catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com. So this is the issue that we have currently and the big debate um, in the investment community at the moment. You know, I just went through a lot of data. And again, there's more of it. If you go to the website and click on the investing tab, go to the newsletter link, and it's also on the front page as well. But read this weekend's newsletter. There's more data there regarding the NFIB survey, which suggests across the data that the economy is slowing down and we're seeing a lot of pre-recessionary trends. But yet, again, we take a look at the markets. Markets have been rallying since October. We're up 8% for the year. There's certainly not a lot of, of negative view from the markets. And as we talked about last week, the markets tend to predict, 
I guess is a word, or expect, or start to price in, however you want to stay it. The economy six to nine months ahead, right? So they tend to lead, the market tends to lead the economy by six to nine months. So if the market's been rallying since October, earnings were coming in better than expected in the, in the latest quarter, in the fourth quarter. They're now expected to improve in the first quarter. So this earnings kind of recession may be behind us. We're going to start seeing earnings expansion again. If that's the case then theoretically we should start to see an improvement in economic data by the end of summer. And I see that's, that's, that's the problem, right? How can we have that? that? That's what the market's saying, but yet all this other data says, no, we have all these economic problems, sentiment, et cetera, is still very negative. Well, remember, this is the challenge. On investing, And when we talk about economic data, and particularly things like the NFIB survey, which is a sentiment-based survey, this is how do you feel? How, how were sales last quarter? I know what the sales were last quarter, so that's not really sentiment. My, my sales were down. How do you feel about sales in the next quarter? Oh, I think they're going to improve. I think they'll be better. How do you feel about... Hiring people over the next three months. Yeah, I think if, if my sales get better, I'm going to have to hire more people because I'm really just running it right at the rim right now. But how were your employment last three months? Well, I, I, you know, I had to let two people go because I didn't have enough business. See, it's very, it's, it's very challenging, right? Trying to align the data with the sentiment. And markets are, by their nature, a sentiment index, because investors are investing in stocks based on how they feel. If investors in general, and, and again, think about the market as you know a herd, right? Because that's what it is. You know, we talk about herd mentality. People tend to move in one direction together. They tend to go in the other direction together. And it's a living, breathing organism because you just have these millions of people that are invested into the financial markets every day. And there's buyers and there's sellers and both think they're right. Buyers are going, yeah, I'll buy from you if you'll sell to me at this price. And sellers are going, I'll sell to you if you'll sell to me at this better price. And so they, they work it out in the markets. But it's sentiment, right? If investors are very fearful, right, they'll sell at any price. Just get me out. If they're greedy, they'll buy at any price. Just get me in. That's sentiment. And so when we take a look at this data of what the market is doing, the market sentiment is certainly improving. The economic, the economic sentiment has not yet. Because how do I feel about my business today? Right? I don't feel great about it. But if we begin to see some improvement, that sentiment is going to improve very quickly. So this is the big question, something that uh, Jim Cramer actually made a statement about saying an economic wave is about to hit that is going to be fantastic for investors. And basically what he's saying is, is that we've gotten through this trough of bad economic news and things are about to improve markedly. Now, the question is, why or how is that going to happen? What's going to be the driver of this economic turnaround? 
Now, we can go back in history over the last decade and look at, at, at periods of economic downturns and what happened during those periods, right? 2015, 2016, end of 2015, early 2016, right? We've got Brexit. We've got concerns about the global economy. Markets down 20% twice between the fourth quarter and the first quarter. And then the markets turned around and started rising again because the ECB and the Bank of England came in with a ton of liquidity through their version of quantitative easing and helped lift markets, right? Liquidity. It's always about liquidity. Go back to 2012, 2011, right? Markets are down 20% in the summer of 2011 over the debt ceiling debate. Lots of concern. Faulting on the debt. We downgrade the U.S. debt. Markets are down. People are getting pretty bearish on things. Federal Reserve steps in with Operation Twist. And then another round of QE at the end of 2012. Start boosting asset prices. But what we can look back at is that every time over the last 12 years, every time there's been an economic malaise, either the Fed has cut rates intervened with monetary liquidity or the government stepped in with some type of fiscal monetary support going all the way back to 2008 right tamp harp hamp all those you name it we had all kinds of money getting thrown thrown around in the market so do you remember back in 2008 we did as well that 800 billion dollars worth of infrastructure spending and it's one of the things we have going on now is we have that $1.7 trillion worth of infrastructure spending on green energy, et cetera, right? The Inflation Reduction Act. Brilliant name. Spending money on the stuff they're spending on is actually inflationary, but because of the year-over-year rate of change in, in CPI, the as we've been talking about for the last year and a half, inflation was going to fall. So it, it was great to name this bill, the Inflation Reduction Act, a blind monkey could have seen that inflation was going to fall over the next year and a half. So now you've got a bill that says, oh, yeah, I reduced inflation because of this bill. No, it had nothing to do with it. I actually probably kept inflation from falling faster than it would have otherwise. But it's still falling because of the year-over-year -year rate of change. So, you know, it's a very interesting dynamic that we have going on right now. At some point, this economic data is going to improve. And that's just a function of activity in the economy. But the question is, is how is that improvement going to occur? Is it going to occur through the Fed dropping rates back to zero again? Is it going to uh, function through the Fed doing QE? Or is it simply just going to be a function of just a return to just normal economic activity? Basically, the economic data stabilizes from getting worse and then just kind of gets into its normal economic growth of population growth and spending. And maybe that's the case. It won't be that robust, but it will start to improve. And then the question is, is how does this feed back into the financial markets, right? It's one thing if you have this recovery based on monetary stimulus coming in, that is going to fuel a sharper rise in asset prices, but even just an economic growth that is related to population growth, X, the monetary stimulus, is still going to be about 2%-ish growth 
which should give you roughly a 2 percentage rate of growth in the economy, earnings, et cetera, right, just as a function. And that would be about the rate of population trends. So the thing to watch here is to watch for that turn in the economic data and what's driving, most importantly, what's driving that turn in economic data, because that will relate back to how fast earnings can appreciate to support current valuations. And remember, we're talking about valuations here as a function. Valuations are still expensive. Valuations can fall two ways. Either price stabilizes and earnings rise sharply, bringing down valuations, or price falls quickly as earnings stabilize, bringing valuations down. So there's a couple of different ways to bring valuations back in line, but, but this idea of an economic turn is not a leap of fantastical imagination. It's going to happen. The economic downturn has been taking a long time to process through. We're now 18 months into the cycle. It's a very long period for an economic recessionary cycle. Economic recessionary cycles typically last 12 to 18 months. We're at the latter end of that normalized time frame. Can we go longer? Sure. 24 months is not out of the question. So we've, we could go another six months of the year, finish out this year on a weak side. That's absolutely possible. The, 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 the shoe that we're all waiting to drop is this unemployment, right? When is the unemployment going to go shooting up, right? So we can have this recession. Well, we'll talk about that on the other side of the break. Don't go away. daily investment news you can use delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com So this morning, there's a headline on the news this morning talking about Taylor Swift interrupting her concert. Um, so over the weekend, there was an article about a guy that was selling his dried out contact lenses on eBay to the highest bidder because they saw Taylor Swift in concert. <laughs> so I'm sure somebody's going to buy those. Somebody will do it. Um so talking about employment, right, everybody's been expecting this surge in unemployment. Yes, jobless claims are rising. 
and everybody's now expecting this subsequent surge in unemployment that will be the confirmation of the economic downturn, one of the things that we have to consider is that may not happen because of what happened in 2020. Normally, we don't have a recessionary drawdown back-to-back. Now, we had it back in the late 70s that occurred because of what was happening with the oil embargo and hiking interest rates and all those type of things. And we can certainly say there's some similarities to what's going on in that environment today. So is it possible that you could have two recessions back-to-back within just a couple of years of each other? And yes, that is certainly possible. But the one thing we've got to consider when we come to employment is that because that of that economic shutdown that we had in 2020, we laid off half of the employment, you know, just populate the, 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 the amount of layoffs and terminations because businesses were simply just shutting down was astronomical. We've now hired many of those people back. But we're just now kind of getting back to where we were employment-wise in 2019. So we've basically had no employment growth over the last two years, to speak of, which we've had increases in population during that time frame. So in other words, businesses have hired back the people they need to operate their businesses in a slower economic environment. But maybe outside of technology, which has been kind of one of the big culprits of the layoffs, they overhired, right? So after the financial crisis, all that liquidity was put in, tech, tech companies went crazy hiring people. So we've seen a lot of layoffs here. And we've seen layoffs in other areas of, of the, the economy, but a big chunk of them occurred at Google and Apple and Microsoft and wherever, right? We, we read those headlines. But in, in, in normal businesses, right, Main Street America, Those businesses didn't go onto a hiring binge. They hired back what they needed to operate their business. And as we've talked about before, we may be in that part of the cycle where we're now talking about labor hoarding more than we're talking about labor terminations. In other words, I've got good employees, and I saw what happened in 2020, and I may not be able to hire this employee back. If I let this employee go who's a good employee, I may not be able to hire somebody of his caliber or his or her caliber, excuse me, or, you know, I'm going to miss that opportunity of being able to capitalize on that person's talent in the future when this economy begins to recover. So companies are making this decision, theoretically, to hold on to labor longer than they might have normally because of what happened in 2020, that may limit that may limit this surge in unemployment that a lot of people are expecting. Now, there's certainly some funky things going on with the employment data, right? We've had 13 straight months of employment beats, which is the longest stretch on record ever by a large margin. So there's a lot of concerns out there that maybe the data is being manipulated for political uh, election purposes. That's happened in the past, by the way. 
And after the election in 2024, then all that data will get revised and we'll see what the true numbers are. Maybe that's the case. Next November is not that far away. Political jockeying is going to begin in the next, by the end of summer, we're going to start to see a big ramp up in political positioning. A lot of rhetoric getting ready for the upcoming election. Maybe after the election, we'll get all this data revised that will show the real trend of employment growth. And maybe it is a lot worse than we expect. But there's a lot of anecdotal data outside of the official unemployment reports that suggest that employment is remaining stickier than many people would have expected at this point in the cycle. I don't have the answers. But it's a point that I think we have to at least consider is that we may not see that big surge in unemployment. And again, when we go back to the more bearish arguments about the markets, markets have to decline by you know 20%, and this is going to occur because of Y, and you know X is going to cause this. Because that's happened every time in history, yes, that is true, and I'm certainly not debating that, and we certainly need to factor those points into our analysis. We have to consider those. But we also have to consider the opportunity that, be, uh, or uh, we, not opportunity, sorry, we also have to consider the point that because of what we did economically in 2020 by shutting down the economy and flooding the system with, with liquidity, that we have either forestalled the potential economic recession that would have occurred from hiking interest rates as aggressively as the Fed did, or it may not be as bad as we think because a lot of the liquidity still in the system, et cetera. In fact, this is a point of an article I've got coming out shortly is that there's still a lot of money in the system. There's a tremendous amount of monetary liquidity still floating around the system because of all that money we eject into the economy, plus throw on top of that the $1.7 trillion worth of the Inflation Reduction Act. Still a lot of money out there. So, again, it's just something that we have to consider. And when we're managing our portfolios, right, when we're, when we're looking at how to invest capital, we have two choices. We can be uber bearish, expecting the world to end. Or we can be uber bullish, expecting everything to be rosy. And one of those two views are going to be very wrong. As is always the case, the reality probably lies somewhere in the middle to where markets can and do perform in advance of the economic data. And what the market's telling us right now is, is that maybe the economic outcome could still be bad, but not as bad as many people expect. Right? We're still down 13% from the peak of the market last year. So we haven't recovered. We're not back at all-time all highs here, and the bulls are going raving mad. That's not happening. But the markets aren't going down 35 40%. Remember, there's a lot of predictions that, oh, we're going to go to 2,800 on the index and 2,000 and 1,500 and lots of stuff, right? And there's certainly a potential that that could happen but i mean you know you have to give the markets some due here right because we have gone through 
banking crises, we've had bank failures, we've had, you know, inflation, and we've had interest rates up to 5%, biggest, you know, biggest run of, uh, of interest rate hikes in history so far uh, on, on an aggressive basis, not in total, but how fast we got there. I mean, there's plenty of reasons why this market should be down 30, 35, 40%. There's really a lot of reasons the market should be doing it, but they aren't, right? So you have to factor that into your thinking. And I know it's a challenge, right? I know it's a challenge. Got an email over the weekend, guy saying, hey, you know, I'm a big subscriber to Peter Schiff and a lot of these extremely bearish guys, right? And I'm like, you're not going to be a good fit for our firm because <laughs> we don't we don't view the world that way. We look at the data and what the data says. That's how we invest. And that's a really challenging position. It's hard for us, right? It's hard for you. I get it. And that's why we talk about this. We try to talk through this together, saying, yes, this is the this is the this is the data. And this is what's going on in the markets. And yes, there's a there's a big split right now between the data and the markets. One of it is wrong. And it's easy to say, oh, the market's just wrong. It's a bunch of idiots in the markets. It's, it's really not a bunch of idiots in the markets. It's a bunch of smart people. A bunch of computers <laughs> out there as well. <laughs> but markets are, are, are operating on the premise of the data, earnings beats, earnings beats, earnings expectations, those type of things. It's trying to factor all that stuff in. And so you have to give that some due, right? We have to give it some credibility because it is credible information that the market is throwing off. And then we have to counter that with a lot of this economic data that certainly isn't optimistic. I know, it's terribly challenging. I wish I could give you an exact answer. Go buy Google. It'll be great. Can't say that. But this is the problem we've got to work through. But we'll keep work. Look, we're going to work on this every day. We'll be here talking about this and trying to navigate this as we go. Futures are basically pointing up slightly this morning. The debt ceiling is the next big thing we got to get through. And then there'll be something after that, too. So, you know, one step at a time, as they say, we'll get there. Anyway, get by the website. Our latest newsletter is out on the website, of course. It's on the front page. Uh, make sure you subscribe to our Before the Bell channel. Also, that's our other YouTube channel where we do our three minutes on markets and money every morning. We'll keep you up to date on that. You can get all of that on the front page of our website, realinvestmentadvice.com. We appreciate you. We'll see you back here tomorrow for the next edition of The Real Investment Show.